Hey everybody, welcome back to The Pod and The Pendulum, the horror movie podcast that covers every horror movie franchise, one movie in one episode at a time. I'm your host, Mike Snoonian, joined once again by my co-host, Jerry Smith. Jerry, how are we tonight? Doing great. I'm really excited about this. This is I, a really cool thing. Yeah, this is kind of a, a not a quite last minute, but something we thought of last night um, that we would put together here with everybody kind of being kind of like hunkered down. I guess this is our very special, you know, shelter in place coronavirus episode that we're doing where we've reached out to our listeners and our followers on Twitter and Facebook and asked, you know, send us some questions and we will be happy to answer them. So this is what I would call our first mailbag episode. And if it goes well, it's something I would love to do on the regular. Uh, I think that could be a lot of fun. Yeah, totally. I also think this is a really cool way just to engage with people, you mm-hmm. know, like like we, we can't have every listener on the show at the same time. So I think this is a really like interesting way to kind of bring everyone to kind of have their voice and kind of yeah. figure out what they want to ask. Yeah. And our listeners stepped up like we have. Um, I mean, looking at because some of these questions are multi parts, like over 20 questions. So. If we don't get to yours tonight, we will definitely um, do this again shortly so we do get to everybody that reached out to us here. But for me, this is like a way to stay sane right now. I just think that like – I don't know about you, but like the more that I can like write and create and do something, the less stir-crazy that I tend to go. Oh, totally. I've kind of had – uh, the best and the worst of that lately. Like I have had such a hard time writing and getting assignments mm-hmm. done, which sucks. But like uh, musically, like I've, I've made, like I've written and recorded so much music. I've, I've been mm-hmm. painting, I've been painting nonstop, which is awesome. But I mean, yeah, if I get to get the writing thing down, then I think this will be such a good creative time, even though like yeah. it's awful everywhere else. Yeah. It's pretty terrible right now. It's definitely, um, one of those things where, like, I think I said on the Mandy episode how, like, I'm used to being around, like, over a thousand people every day. So to go from that to being, like, kind of locked up in a house with, you know, I love my wife and daughter. They're, like, outstanding, and I couldn't ask to be sheltered in place with, like, two better people. But, you know, you kind of do miss being around a lot of people. Well, I also think it's it's, for me... I think it's not only that, like it's that, but there's also, I think more to it. Uh, it's not that I miss being around people per se. It's that I miss like, I, I used to do just like very trivial things throughout the day. Like, you know, if I was bored, I'd walk to the corner store and just mm-hmm. get like a bag of chips or something, make conversation with the people at the store or something like that. You know, like that was a very active part of my day. Like just the opportunity to go out and just do something, walk around and congregate and just talk to people. And now it's just like, so closed off. I mean, yeah. don't get me wrong. A lot of fun. I mean, my wife and I have been playing Borderlands three nonstop and it's just nice. the fun thing ever. Like I love that game so much. Mm-hmm. And what's funny is my wife's a huge fan of those, but I had never played, like I played the first one when it first came up, but I didn't remember much. Uh, hearing John Carpenter talk about it nonstop is what made me want to like check that game out. And Borderlands three is so much fun, but I mean, yeah, yeah. I'm excited to be around like my wife and my kids and stuff, but like, it just feels weird feeling like you're almost grounded inside, you know? Yeah, it, it does feel weird. And my daughter's like, why don't, you know, we're, you know, it's funny today was the day, like we have some of the people I follow on Facebook from our town. Um, I don't think she'll ever hear this. So I don't mind saying it like our daughters, like girl scout troop leader, super nice lady works really hard for the town, really hard for the kids. Um, definitely a type a personality where like every day for the first week in yesterday, she was posting like, you know, there are no electronics in our home from 10 to 4, and I'm homeschooling my kids. And she also, like, teaches. Um, and she would post, like, these long lists of here's all the activities that, you know, my kids and I did today for school and everything else. And I think a bunch of us were like, oh, my fucking God, give it a rest. And then today was a day where she was like, oh, I love my kids, but I hate homeschooling. This is the worst. <laughs> and we're like where we are like breaking the day like we're kind of letting our daughter play a lot on her own and do things and like but we do a lot of like no screen time for like 16 to 90 minutes and we'll say okay you have to do like 
20 minutes of schoolwork right now three or four times a day. And our kid's already ahead of the curve as it is, so Mm -hmm. we're not super worried about her ever falling behind. Um, But even that, it's kind of like... Isn't it fun to have, like, genius kids? It kind of is. I hate being that asshole, but, like... All of our kids are like top of their class and like accelerated reading and everything. Mm-hmm. And it's like anytime I hear that, like, like you know what I mean? Like if stuff like this happens, I'm not afraid that like, oh shit, you know, like my kid's gonna like not learn this this thing, right? You know, but but we are very active in getting them schoolwork. But there's, I think, when you have a kid that actually takes their schooling seriously, like it kind of helps alleviate that stress. Mm-hmm. But we, what we've been doing to kind of with the no screen time and that kind of stuff. Like we'll let them like watch stuff here and there, but they have to kind of earn it. Mm-hmm. Like, like they hate me for it, but I make them do like half an hour to 45 minutes of this uh, special yoga that I found. Oh, and it's, it's, it's this channel on YouTube called cosmic kids. Mm-hmm. And this lady does this whole, does, does these like yoga routines, but set to like, it's Pokemon yoga or star Wars yoga or stuff like that. So the kids, like by the end of that 45 minutes, like they're sore, they're stretching mm-hmm. and they're like, yeah, uh, and we kind of don't want to watch TV. We want to lay down now. Yeah. <laughs> so with us, like it's definitely like we have to monitor YouTube because some of the things are not always appropriate. Like today yeah. it was like, let's do an in-depth look at the, you know, the uh, welcome to my nightmare game. And it's all blood and gore. And I'm like, no, we're not watching that on our own. Um even though I'll let Ada watch pretty much any horror movie with me, I'm like, I have a thing about YouTube where I do think it makes people stupider. Um, So we try to be a little bit more conscious of what she's watching there, but she'll go out like in the yard, play on her own. We'll do the trampoline. We like today, we like did some cooking together. We played like animal crossing. We'll do board, which my God, that game is, is just weird. Um, I'm like, what's the point? Like, can I push these animals in the ocean? Like, how do I capture them? And it's like, no, you have to gather kindling and then make a net. And I'm like, what? That's odd. Um, but we're playing a lot of board games together. We're playing Mixtape Massacre a lot. Oh, which man. is so good. Oh, I've been dying for so long to get that game. But every time I have a little extra money, it's sold out. Yeah, it's oh. really good. We is play it? that. And then um, there's a game based on the classic Universal Monsters Horrified. Yeah. Which oh, is yeah. really good. Have you played that? Oh, yeah, we have that. I love that yeah. game. Uh, that and Jaws. Oh, I have not played Jaws. Uh, it, it's kind of like the same format as Horrified, mm-hmm. to be honest. Like as yeah. far as setup, cha- like your your different, uh, you know, like Phase One, Phase Two yeah. kind of thing. Very similar, but like Jaws, yeah. it is so much fun. It's so much fun. Yeah. So that's what we're doing to stay sane right now. What do you say we dip into this mailbag here? Let's do it. So how do you want to do this? I have the questions listed, and then I was going to do a random number generator. Yeah, that sounds good. Let's do that. All right. So let's go to that. One through – I'm going to throw one through 16 even though there's more questions. So we can always kind of pick and choose a little bit. Sure. I can knock some things out if we answer just part of one here. So question 11, and that is coming from our good friend Mar- – this is a good one to start with. Our good friend Marcos Kodas, who you've heard on the Blair Witch Project episode – and who just recently sent me a link to a comic book he wrote, yeah. um, which I still need to read. Uh, the Karusu Sapario Day One. Oh, I need to actually yeah. read that. Oh, you Some should. Of- I, I I read that. I, I enjoyed that very much. Yeah, I'm gonna do that tomorrow. I think I promised him I would, and then the weekend just got a little bit. Just I think with everything going on or everything not going on, it's like oh, you know, no excuse, but. All right, so his question is, I'd love to hear some tips to get started in covering horror for newcomers, as well as some advanced tips for breaking into bigger platforms. Hmm. Uh, do you want to go first, or do you want me to? I'll go first, but I don't really have much advice on the bigger platform. Yeah. Um, so in 2009, I started a site called All Things Horror, and... It was going to be a way for me and some friends to just talk about our love for horror movies and whatnot. Um, 
And what I found early on is you kind of like, I would say, write about things you know and write about things you love. Or, you know, if you're in a podcast, podcast about things you know and podcast about things you love. Because I think what I want from a um, site that I read or a podcast I listen to, I want enthusiasm and I want genuine passion. And I think if you can convey that, then that's going to come across to your audience and they're going to not only respond to you, but they're going to kind of help you do the heavy lifting of like word of mouth and promotion for it. Um, the other thing is like, do you want to be the 10,000th site that covers, you know, what is playing in the multiplex that weekend? Like, do you want to be the 500 site that says, here's an exclusive poster for the conjuring three? Like, what are you going to do that's different? What are you going to, even if you cover some of the same territory as other people, how are you going to be unique? How are you going to be different? And how are you going to bring your own voice to it? So what we did really early on at All Things Horror, we were, I was really lucky. I was able to go to the New York City Horror Film Festival um, in the fall of 2009. And that opened up like my eyes to like the world of indie horror, which I, to be quite honest, had no idea existed 10 years ago. So seeing movies like must love death and bereavement, um, all these little, um, what was it called? There was the revenant as well. All of these tiny movies, um, from first time filmmakers or indie horror filmmakers that like, I'm like, this is the kind of stuff I want to cover. And I kind of shifted gears on the site at that point. Um, we started screening movies in Boston every month. So we were able to contact a lot of people to get their films in, but that's from like 2009 to 2017. That's not exclusively what we wrote about, but it was probably two thirds of our stuff because that's what I fell in love with. And I think that enthusiasm, was what came through and what gave us a pretty decent readership for what became like a one or two person run site. Oh, totally. Uh, uh, yeah. Uh, what, let's see here. Sorry. Um, how I got into it as far as breaking into it or just getting started. Uh, I was a huge, uh, reader of all the horse sites starting out, like from the very early days when there was like maybe four or five in total, you know, uh, Icons of Fright was huge for me. It was one of my favorite sites. You know, Bloody Disgusting was around. Dread Central was around. I mean, even Chud, you know, back in the back in the old school days. These were sites that I read religiously. And I'd always wanted to write about horror, but I never felt like I was uh, like a big enough personality to do it. Because back then, everyone had these like nicknames. You know, Brad Miska from Blade Disgusting was Mr. Disgusting. Ryan Turek was Ryan Rotten. You know, Steve Barton was Uncle Creepy. They all had like these kind of like cool names. And I was just like, well, I'm pretty, I'm a pretty boring person. You know, I have nothing to say. And then one day, this is, I think maybe about 10 years ago, uh, you know, I had gone, I, I went to LA a lot. It was, you know, cause it's like an hour or two away from where I lived. And I'd always go to Amoeba Music, like this big record store there. And, uh, the first time I went there, I, I saw Rob Galuzzo, who was like the editor-in-chief of Icons of Fright, one of my favorite sites. And I was like, dude, what are you doing here? He's like, oh, I work here. And he, he was so nice, and he talked to me for so long about just horror films or whatever. We kind of became acquaintances. Uh, a couple months later, uh, some friends of mine were going to go to L.A. to see a movie, and I couldn't make it because my son was sick, and I was really depressed. And I just started like messaging Rob Galuzzo. And I was like, hey, you know, I always wanted to write about horror but I just never thought I was that cool or anything, you know, like I, like, how do you start your own site? Like, can you give me advice? He's like, yeah, you could do that. Or you could write for icons of fright, which was like such a huge thing for me. You know, that was mm-hmm. like, that was my favorite horror site around because it was such a personal site. You know, it was more like a, it, it felt icons of fright at the beginning felt more like a DIY, like, like zine, you know, and less of like, Hey, here's the new saw trailer kind of thing. And so I started writing for Icons of Fright, you know, here and there. But I was so into it that, like, I would write, like, five or six t- things a day early on. And, you know, Rob saw kind of, like, this passion in me. And so he started, like, uh, you know, a little bit after I started writing that, he would send me, like, screeners for the first time and that kind of stuff. And I remember the first review, legitimate review I wrote for them was uh, Benson and Moorhead's Resolution because it, mm-hmm. uh, it was playing at Tribeca, the film festival. 
I think this was 2011, 2012. Mm-hmm. And it, like from then on, I just got addicted to writing reviews and articles and all that stuff. And I just became so prolific in it that eventually Rob was like, you know what? I, I'm starting to work for FearNet. Can you kind of do the editor in chief thing of Icons of Fright and like run it for a while? And so I ran that site for about four or five years. And I think how to break into it is just kind of do that. Show people that you have a passion for it. Show that it's not that you don't want to be a personality, that you just have a passion for for writing, for the horror films that you love. And any professional stuff I got from that was because of showing Rob Galuzzo my passion. And because of that, because of Icons of Fright, you know, Rob Galuzzo vouched to Rebecca McKendry for me, and she let me write for Fangoria. That's how I started with Fangoria. And because of that, when Chris Alexander left and started Delirium Magazine, he let me write for them. And then, you know, Shock Till You Drop and Dread Central and all that stuff, and eventually Scream Magazine. But I think the problem that a lot of people have these days, especially the second half of that question, is kind of going into the more of the bigger publications is everyone kind of wants to do it in an accelerated pace these days. And and I'm I'm not saying don't shoot your shot cuz definitely I'm a firm believer of just going for it. But the thing is, I'm not going to grab a tattoo gun and instantly be a tattoo artist. You know what I mean? Like there you have to learn your craft. You have to learn how to be a, a unique voice. You have to really find your voice as far as writing. And it took me years for that. You know, like I, I read some of the early things I wrote for like Icons of Fright and other sites and even a couple magazine things. And I, like it's awful. They were awful. Mm-hmm. You know, I think that instead of trying to like, you know, I want to write for Fangoria. I want to get paid to write for, you know, this site, this site, this magazine. Just work on work on the love for the craft and work on writing. And if you have a very unique voice and you have kind of a track record of good articles that come from the heart, those people will take notice and they'll want you to write for them. So, I mean, that's my advice. Mm -hmm. How about your process in terms of like pitching? I think I read a tweet from you. Maybe it was last month where you're like Monday, pitch, 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 pitch. And then Tuesday through Friday are your writing days. What I try to do is I almost never pitch one thing at a time. Because it's so defeating if you pitch if you have this great pitch that you think is amazing and you pitch it to like different writing homes. Because currently, I think I write for like four or five sites and like two mm-hmm. magazines. You know, so if you have one idea and you send it to someone and they they're like, no, you know, I don't like it, or or you just don't hear back, which is a common thing from some of them. Mm-hmm. I mean, you'll feel defeated. So what I try to do is send like eleven or twelve fully fleshed out ideas, mm-hmm. and you know, and. I'll send them to one site. If I don't hear back from, you know, a couple days, I'll send them to everyone, every other site. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I send at least a half to a full dozen pitches at once. A ones that like, aren't just like, you know, a couple words or a sentence, something that like, they almost read the article almost from your pitch, make it fully fleshed okay. out and just keep it going. And when I send those pitches, I kind of just put them into the ether and just let them be, you know, like I don't, I don't, bug the people nonstop. Mm-hmm. I don't do anything like that because you got to take into consideration the fact that say a site like, uh, I, I don't know, uh, Dread Central or something like that. You know what Josh Milliken's doing there now and what, you know, Jonathan Barcon and, uh, Steve Barter and all the people through the years are doing, they're running a site that has so many posts and articles and reviews and content a day. And I kind of have to take myself out of it because it's just like if I'm constantly overanalyzing why I'm not hearing back yet over this stuff, like I'm not the only person in the world. You know what I mean? There's like mm-hmm. such a huge roster of people that write for them or want to write for them or any site. You kind of just have to send your pitches and hope for the best, hope something you know sticks. And if you don't hear back, don't get offended by it. Mm-hmm. You know, just kind of move on. I like I've read so many different people. They almost feel like it's a slap to the face, but really, it's it's nothing personal. Like, uh, you know, it's just part of the game. You just right. keep pitch. If you don't hear about it, you pitch more. Good. All right. Well, Marcos, we hope that answered your question. Um, I'm going to hit the number generator here, and then do you want to read the next one off? Sure. All right. Generate number two. I think this is a good one. They're all good ones, folks. They're all good all ones. Right. Number two comes from our buddy, Nat Brimmer. 
who has been writing really great short fiction online. If you can find it, read it. It's great. Uh, his question is, which horror movie franchise, villains and victims combined, would win in a fight against every other horror movie franchise? This oh, this one is good, and I was just talking to my wife about this question right before we recorded. See, Halloween is my bread and butter. Like It is the biggest mm-hmm. cinematic love of my life, but I really don't think that that would win because really – other than Laurie in 2018 and maybe Laurie in, in H2O, there aren't many characters that actively go and try to fight Michael Myers. You know what I mean? So I feel like that team would be kind of eh. But Nightmare I, I mean, are you going to put like an 80-year-old Dr. Loomis? Exactly. Like I think Nightmare on Elm Street would be my bet because not only is Freddy like vicious, but like every final girl or final boy in Nightmare on Elm Street mm-hmm. 2, all of them kind of are actively like just – they're badasses. I mean, you have right. Nancy with her booby traps. You have Alice, who's like one of the biggest badasses around. So mm-hmm. many people. That's what I think. I think the answer has to be the Cenobites, uh, the Hellraiser franchise. Yeah, because you have the Cenobites, so you have this. You have, I think, a number one more villains than any other franchise at that point. So you just have like an overwhelming amount of. Of firepower at that point. What about I mean, uh, as far as like victims combined though? Like other than Christy Cotton, who would be combined with Cinnabites for like a good team? But I think that the sheer firepower of all of the Cenobites at that point would over overwhelm. But if we need to do victims and villains, I may go with the Texas Chainsaw Massacre franchise. Oh. Okay, oh, because you have good. the sheer power. You have like. The sheer power of Leatherface at that point, you have like the craziness of Chop Top and uh, the Hitchhiker. You have your uncle that knows how to make the stew and he's kind of the brains of the whole thing. But then you have like some crazy good final girls, too. I mean, you have Stretch in part two, who's like really smart and really cunning. You have uh, I'm trying to think of Dennis Hopper's character name now. I want to call him Tex is what. It's lefty. lefty, thank you, Lefty, who knows how to uh, wield those two chainsaws. You have Ken fucking Foray in part three in um, Kate Hodge, man. Yeah, you have. So you have yeah. like, you've got like a pretty badass team you can go go with at that point. Really, the only thing that's going to bring you down is Franklin, and I feel <laughs> like Franklin can be used as bait. I was about to say that, <laughs> but uh-huh. you also have like Renee Zellweger and like if you're combining victims and villains, I mean McConaughey mm-hmm. with his leg brace, that'd be such oh, a fun yeah. team. I, you oh, know what? Man. Change mm-hmm. my answer. Change my answer. I'm going with you. Unallowed. Not allowed. Sorry. <laughs> Can't do it. Um, I want to find, give me one second here. And we'll see. I just typed Texas Chainsaw Assacre. Um, oh boy <laughs> so on a side note so Pornhub has changed their logo to, from Pornhub to stay at home hub and I find it really kind of like heartwarming but also kind of sad that the place I go for like bukkake pegging and superheroin fetish videos cares more about me and my family's health and well-being than the president of the United States. You know what What I mean? It's like, look, man, I'm just here for some like, you know, Batgirl versus Supergirl action. Uh, I'm just here for that Dr. Loomis and, you know, nurse, the nurse, you know, like, and (laughs) I feel like Dr. Loomis porn would be so disturbing. So disturbing. uh, you haven't seen the Halloween parody one. There is one. Oh my God! Oh, on the way no. to pick up Michael to transfer, mm-hmm. the nurse and Doctor Loomis stops and has fun. Oh, it's so much fun! It's funny. We got a Nightmare in Elm Street porn oh, to yeah. review once that I had one of my friends review for us, and it was. Um, I mean, you was can it, imagine what they were using. Was it? Uh, was it Wet Dream on Elm Street? Yes. That dude. That has one of my favorite jokes of all time. Oh God. It's been, the girl wakes up and she turns over and there's Freddie and she goes, Edward James almost. (laughs) (laughs) That's just not right. Oh man. I do remember when I was younger, my friend and I went to the movies and we're standing in line for our popcorn 
And I'm like, man, I got the weirdest porn today. And he looked at me. He's like, is it let my puppets come? And I'm like, as a matter of fact, it was. It was puppet porno. Oh, my God. Yeah. Every bit as weird as you can imagine. All right. Let's move on to the next question here. I think we've answered that one maybe a little bit too much. (laughs) Question number 10. Uh-huh. Scroll down the list here. Uh, from our friend Charlie Work, who is at Millsbury Shoe on Twitter, which is a fantastic reference, by the way, to Mike Millbury, former um, coach and player for the Boston Bruins, going into the stands and like whacking fans over the head with his shoe uh, <laughs> once. Yeah, absolutely great reference right there. Um, okay. Why didn't Michael kill off the Elrods in the original Halloween 2? They were easy targets. Uh, In my opinion, I have two thoughts on this. The first one is because if he did, we wouldn't have gotten that really great scene. Mm -hmm. Uh, (laughs) And two, uh, I don't think that everything is as calculated with Michael as sometimes we think it is. And I Mm -hmm. think that... Another scene later in the series that kind of explains just this question is the block massacre scene in 2018's Halloween. You know, I don't think Michael is on a path to kill everything. I feel like he sees someone, he goes to kill them. He sees someone else, he doesn't feel led to kill them. He moves on to – he's kind of like like you said in that episode, shark in the water, you know? And I feel like the Elrods – you know, he had just – gotten fucked up by Loomis. I mean, right. he got shot six times, you know, and the only reason he killed that girl that was on the phone is, you know, it was a reshot scene to make it gorier, you know, right. like, as, like as far as thematically and story-wise, that shouldn't even be in the movie. I feel mm-hmm. like Michael was hurting. He was bleeding. He needed a knife, grabbed the closest knife, went on on his way. And, but that being said, back to my first answer, I mean, that scene's perfect. If he would have killed them, we wouldn't have gotten that. Right. Yeah. For me, like Michael is very deliberate, at least in the first few Halloween movies of who he goes after. Like there is definitely a method to his madness overall. Like when he um, when he takes over the station wagon, he doesn't kill Nurse Mary and he easily could have. But all he needed to do was get a car so he get away. He kills the truck driver or he kills the truck driver he runs into because he needs clothing and he can't leave anyone behind at that point. He doesn't kill Tommy Doyle when he bumps into him in the middle of the street. He doesn't kill any of the Haddonfield residents. Think about Halloween 2. He's walking around downtown Haddonfield and there are people all around him who have no idea what's going on. And he's not just running up and like butchering them. Like There's a very deliberate methodical way to the way he chooses his victims and to jerry's point like he had just been shot six times by dr loomis and was bleeding out was injured knew that you know he needed a little bit of recovery time um and he also knew that loomis was nearby and the police were nearby so and there were two people in the house so let's say he kills one and the other one makes enough of a commotion to be heard then you're bringing the fuzz down on you at that point so also, I think he's uh, a very smart killer. Totally. And plus, earlier in the series, you know, in the first couple of movies, he's very different than he is in, say, like four or five. It wasn't Michael taking out an entire police station. You know, Michael mm-hmm. in the first movie and most of the second one, he's more of a deviant than a murderer. It's mm-hmm. only, you know, the very beginning when he was a kid. But it's only at the end of the first movie where he gets back into doing that. I think it's more about the setup and it's more about, like, not the pleasure, but the kind of satisfaction that he gets from, you know, spying on these people and looking at these people. So I don't, I, I think that Michael in the first and second movie wouldn't try to take out two people at a time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's a good point too. Like he never really goes after multiple people all at once. He kind of sets them up. And then awesome. the other, uh, other good. part of that too is like, I kind of had this theory on the early Halloween films that Michael Myers is playing quote-unquote tricks on his victims mm-hmm. overall. He um, wants to set them up, but he's like, you know, he's getting into the trick-or-treat, the trick part of the holiday, but he doesn't make that connection 
I, I mean, part of me wonders if he even knows what he's doing, if he even knows what it means to take a life or if he's so far removed and so far of a sociopath that he doesn't make that connection whatsoever. Totally. All right. Let's move on here. Question number four. You got this one, Jerry? Yeah, I got this one. Uh, Robert Prudhomme at, who is, let's see, at Fan of Saga, mm-hmm. which, I mean, I'm hoping that's Star Wars, because so am I. Mm-hmm. Uh, what film do you think would be a great franchise that never got one? Ooh, I got a couple. Do you want to go first? Or you want me to? I, I have a very specific answer to this one. So there was a movie that came out in 2015. It played mostly the festival circuit, and then you could rent it on demand called The Boy. And it's not the boy that is like the killer doll movie. Um, it was directed by Craig William McNeil, who's gone on to do some episodes of um, Channel Zero, that anthology series on the Sci-Fi Network. He also directed the movie Lizzie, the kind of psychological thriller um, around the Lizzie Borden um case as well as some stuff for the twilight zone but the boy was envisioned as a trilogy uh it stars rain wilson as well um it's about a nine-year-old kid it's kind of like what rob zombies halloween like that first act what it could have been if there was any subtlety to it um it's about like this nine-year-old kid that I would say he has conduct disorder. Like he's very violent, but he knows how to hide it. So he does things like he um, he lives basically in a very rural area, and there's it's a pretty busy where he is. He lures, he puts like food out in the middle of the road for deer to get, and then watches the deer get hit by cars, things like that. So it's all about his transformation of becoming a sociopath and a serial killer. And it was envisioned as a three-part series. The first one would have been him as a really young boy. The second part would have been him as a teenager and really kind of dipping his toes into the water of uh, murder. And then the last part would have been him as an adult, um, Mm -hmm. as a full-blown like Ted Bundy-like serial killer at that point. So as far as I know... There were no plans to kind of continue it, um, but I know that it was envisioned as part of a three-part, three-part uh, uh, trilogy. And the first part is is fucking incredible. Um, really, really disturbing. Really well acted. Rain Wilson is awesome. If people who only know him as uh, Dwight from The Office, like go ahead and watch him in the Super. Uh, and you kind of get a much better feel for like what kind of range this person has. Mm-hmm. I'm so excited that you said that movie. Like you are the first person that has mentioned that movie in like mm-hmm. years. I love that movie. Oh, it's so good. Passion. And oh yeah, like that movie. It's it's so subtle and it just feels it's so eerie and like tense and it gets under your skin. And uh, if anyone wants to see that movie, Scream Factory put out a good Blu-ray of it. Ooh, uh, did not know that. Yeah, yeah, they did. I have it. It's one. It's wonderful. Uh, man, that's great. I would have loved to see that continue. Uh, for me, I got. I have two of them. Uh, Doctor Giggles mm-hmm. is one that. I mean, going to see that opening night, I wanted to see fifteen more of those movies. Uh, you know, like Larry Drake as Doctor Giggles was one of the coolest characters around. And oh my god, if it was rebooted, like I could see someone like Richard Brake or someone playing that character. Uh, I, I just love that movie so much. It's about a doctor that went through a lot of heavy stuff as a kid, and he kind of like has this like giggle thing where he laughs a lot. It's kind of like the Joker stuff with Walking Phoenix, <laughs> but it's played like over the top. It's played like the one-liners are huge. The kills are just amazingly funny. It's such a good movie. And a more recent one, uh, Stitches. Uh, have you have you seen Stitches? I don't know. Is that oh. the one about? That's not the one about. I'm thinking of Wrinkles the Clown for some reason. No, no. Yeah, what is no. Stitches? R- refresh it's, my memory. It's an Irish movie. It's a movie. It's an Irish movie about this really bad, vulgar clown named Stitches who goes to a kid's party and he's just bad. He's drunk. He's messing up, and the kids all play a prank on him that accidentally leads to his death at the party. <laughs> but then, I've seen this. 
Yeah. Years later, years later, he's resurrected by a group of clowns, and he comes back as the uh, uh, to basically go after the kids as teenagers. And the kills, oh my! It feels like a Nightmare on Elm Street movie with the comedy turned up even more. Yeah. Like it's I would, I would ridiculous, right? Like th- there's a part where like, oh man, there's a part where he like puts a uh, like a a thing to blow up balloons in a kid's like mouth and blows him up to his head, like expands and just explodes everywhere yeah. it's ridiculous but like god man i would love to see that like more of those movies so much mm-hmm. yeah no that one is definitely a lot of fun i can, cannot argue with you there all right hopefully that answered that hold on one second here all right next question do 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 number six that would be from David White at Thinner nineteen seventy three over on Twitter, if you could be any character in a horror movie, cannot choose the killer. Which movie, and who would you choose, and why? Ooh, like okay, is it like a character that you feel like kind of like was you, or like one that you wish you could be? You know, I think I it's th- who you wish you could be. Oh man, honestly, I would have to say Bill Paxton in Near Dark, because that is like the coolest motherfucker mm-hmm. of all time. Like Bill Paxton in Near Dark is who everyone like, who we all think we are, you know. And then we look in the mirror and we're like, oh, we're more like Bill Paxton in True Lies. <laughs> That's my answer. So I gotta, you know, my answer is super basic. I gotta go with Ash from The Evil Dead. Yeah, groovy. Let's face it, groovy. He's got all the one-liners. He's Bruce Campbell in the for at least the in the Evil Dead series. At least he's hot as fuck. I mean, I'm sorry, man. Bruce Campbell is a very attractive man. Okay, so I gotta say, like, you know, he's much more handsome than I'll ever be. Um, and I'd also say, you know, he's got a uh, shotgun for a hand, which, come on, that's pretty goddamn badass. He's got all the great one-liners. He's always got gets the girl, you know, even though most of his women end up becoming undead setabites. No skin off his back. There's always another dame waiting around the corner for him. So I'm going with um, Bruce Campbell's Ash in the Evil Dead series. I like that one. Basic answer, I know, like you're not really digging the depths for that one, but you know, oh, sometimes the classics. Sometimes the classics are a classic for a reason. Yeah. All right, let's see what we got here. Quickly though, runner up would be the dog that has flashbacks in the original Hills of Ice Two. <laughs> Why the dog? Because like. It's funny because I don't know if you've seen that movie, the original Hills of Ice 2, but it, it, like there's this – the dog of the family basically has this extended flashback yes. of everything that happened in the first movie. And you almost picture like a dog paw, a fake dog paw to come up and scratch its head while it does it. Oh, that's it. <laughs> yeah, I think I've seen that in bits and pieces, but I don't think I've ever brought myself – I don't think I've ever been able to kind of like – sit down and watch the whole thing. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Number nine. All right. Running through woods at woods running friend of the show. Uh, also, if you're listening to this, we've, this guy has been a friend of the show since the beginning. I uh, met him at monster Palooza, super friendly, Talk to him almost daily. I still don't know your name, feller. So can you Okay, cool. There you go. Now I know, and I will never forget it. What is the best Friday the 13th film, and why is it Jason Takes Manhattan? Jesus. Oh, Lord. Well, that's Short a short answer is it's not. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Uh, the best Friday the 13th film, in my opinion, is the final chapter. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, I, I think I've been well documented on why and i will not use a analogy about it <laughs> no you don't want you know that reviewer to will not. Will very not. angry and you know what i love seeing all the love for jason takes manhattan it's awesome between between garth between brad mccarg uh you know i wrote an article about it for scream magazine 
But with that being said, how the fuck is that movie <laughs> like uh, one like not a favorite, but like the best? What? Okay, so I have it listed as my dead last. Like we did our rankings. Um, in my opinion, on the Friday the Thirteenth movies, is if you remove like my top two and my bottom one, they all pretty much like you can fiddle around with the order any which way almost at that point. Um, but let's take it for someone who would say this is their favorite one. Okay. So I think the premise for one, I think that people love the premise of this movie and it has that rad as fuck Times Square scene. Like for oh, all of the movie's faults, it does have that really cool moments in Times Square with Jason kind of running around New York. Um, it kind of undercuts the persona of Jason, but it's a pretty fun moment when the punks confront him and he just lifts off his mask and they go scattering away. Like that's a pretty fun fan moment overall. Um, I think there's a really good human villain in the movie uh, in like the, in the form of the principal. And it's a lot of fun. Like unlike part seven where, you know, the evil doctor gets his comeuppance, but it mostly happens off screen and there's almost no bloodshed. Um, this guy gets royally fucked up. So I think that's really fun because he is such a, a prick. Um, and Jason punches off a dude's head after the dude tries to go all like Mike Tyson and Muhammad Ali on him. And Rennie has Stephen King's pen, so... <laughs> yes, Rennie has Stephen King's pen. And what's the name of the... I'm so bad with character names. What's the name of the character who, like, drew her biology project on her naked form? Oh, I don't remember, man. Okay. Uh, you know, as far as, like, the, the the fodder of people that die, uh, <laughs> it does have J.J., which I think is, like, the funniest character in that whole movie. Mm-hmm. You know, just, like, getting the nerd to film her, like, rocking out on a guitar. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. You have, like, MTV Guitar Girl, like, doing, like, new um, hair metal in the middle of a of a ferry ship. Um, she was the Weezer Cruise before there was a Weezer Cruise. Yeah. But here's the thing is, like, how small is that at high school senior class? Like, there's, like, eight kids for that prom on the ferry. Well, dude, like, there's it starts out. There's a whole shitload of kids. And, like, ten minutes later, there's nobody on the damn boat. You'll never see them. So, um, so yeah. And Kane Hodder, if, if, if you know, I, is Kane Hodder is a lot of people's favorite Jason. Um, I'm more of a Ted White guy myself. Mm-hmm. But, you know, like, I think that, you know, Hodder brings a certain – brings a certain personality and panache to the character overall. So if that would be, if someone's going to rate that as her favorite, that's why I would say it would be. Um, As far as I'm concerned, it goes Jason lives. And then the final chapter. Um, And honestly, you could probably flip flop those around depending on my mood. Totally. I know when it's, when you know Friday the Thirteenth happens to fall on a month, those are the two that I usually reach for, and at this point, it's usually the final chapter. Yeah, all right, perfect movie. Number one, question number one, once again from our good friend Nat Bremer at Nat Bremer on Twitter. Freddie and Jason both have one hour to find a date for the prom. Which is the first one to secure a date? And Nat wants to add, he has a very concrete answer for this. Oh, boy. I think Freddie would get the date to the prom first because he is the man of your dreams. Uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> and I feel like Jason's mom wouldn't let him out of the house to go. Mm. So that is that is my reasoning behind it. Those are two very valid reasons. Um I'm going to go with Jason on this one, and here's why. Freddy is the class clown, and one of the things that we've learned from watching all of these slasher movies, your jokester clown guy never gets the girl, right? Shelly in part three, um, Ted in part two, um, Ted in part four. None of these guys ever get laid. They're always left behind, you know, pulling their pud. 
basically. So Freddy being the jokester, it's almost desperate. He's almost so desperate for attention that, you know, everyone's like, all right, dude, we've had it. You know, we've had enough. Like, we get it. I'm going to get you and your pretty dog, too. All right, whatever. Yeah, you're playing with power. All right. You know, you can use that glove or something else. Like, I think that Freddy is going to be kind of like people are over it at that point. You know, some women like the strong, silent type, and Jason is definitely that. And because he's so silent and unresponsive, I think that his date could project whatever they wanted to be on him. So, you know, what you're like, saying, so what you're saying is basically Jason is like the Charlie character in Perks of Being a Wallflower? Kind of. You know, he's kind of adorable. He's going to pinch his cheeks. Like, he has a better chance of getting a girl than, like, the the kind of boisterous one. You know? And, yeah, I know that the severe deformity might be difficult for a lot of people to look past. So Um, would Freddy. Did the dude from Mask ever get a prom date? Uh, In real life? I feel like he made out with Cher, but Cher was his mom in that movie. No, so Cher was his probably. mom. Uh, no, All right, hooked, so that's he, had, he hooked up with uh, Kelly Joe Minter from uh, Lost Boys and for okay. and Nightmare on Elm Street Five, didn't he? Okay, so if the dude from Mask can get a prom date, I'm pretty sure Jason Voorhees can too. Good, good. I like right. that one. All right, let me just X that one out. I hope that answered Nat's question. I want to hear. Nat- specific answer so i'm definitely looking forward to that next time we have him on because you know it's very well thought out and it has like eight parts to it and there's like they're backed up by they're backed up by research yeah okay all right number eight charlie work once again at millsbury shoe top three favorite trashy 80s action movies oh Boy, I know that without even thinking about it. All right. Top fine. three top three favorite trashy 80s action movies. Uh, the first one is my second favorite action movie of all time, a movie that uh, I actually was in the middle of writing a book about, but the main star of the movie decided he didn't want to take part in it, so I didn't see a reason to finish it, and that is Cobra. That is Cobra. Okay. Uh, so Stallone said no thank you? The whole book contract wrote like it was it was writing on Stallone being involved mm-hmm. and about uh, pretty knee deep into it uh, there was a lot of accusations going around around that time and he kind of pulled out of most projects having to do with that stuff mm-hmm. uh, so yeah that's that's why that's still on hold I still don't know if I want to c- continue that but yeah passion project of mine so Cobra uh, 10 to midnight which is one of the sleaziest kind of action thriller movies around, but it is one of my favorite movies of all time. If there's one movie that I would remake, if I could write it, uh, it would be Ten and Midnight. And my third one, uh, Miss 45. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I don't know if that's considered an action movie, but she does blow quite a few dudes away. Mm-hmm. And it's sleazy. It's early Abel Ferrara, which, I mean, is New York sleaze at its best. It's one of the best movies of all time, in my opinion. Those are my mm-hmm. So I am going to go with Super Fuzz, which mm-hmm. I'm not sure if a lot of people know that movie. And I'm not sure how trashy it is, but it was like a low-budget action movie. Um, it was around – like this cop basically gets these superpowers, and he's kind of really incompetent. And the thing about it is he was allergic to the color red, like – if he saw the color red, he lost his powers for some reason, which is a kind of strange thing to have. But I remember watching that movie, like, I guess like it's like a bomb goes off and he's like kind of like the Hulk and his powers come and go. But I thought that movie was a blast. I must have watched that like a hundred times growing up as a kid. Um, I got to look that up. Yeah, it's it's a bit silly. Uh, it was one of those things that was like on HBO like twice a day, 30 days out of the month because they were like just looking for content in the early 80s when they just started. You know, they were like anything they could get their hands on, they would put on just to fill 24 hours. Um, I'm not sure, again, if it's trashy, but Kickboxer with Jean-Claude Van Damme. 
Um, That movie just rules. I mean, it's like the Karate Kid. People died and got crippled. So (laughs) I'm all about that movie. Um, And then my other pick is also a Stallone movie, uh, Over the Top. Oh, my God, yes. yes. So good. I love Um, that movie. You know, I mean, you have like Robert Loja is like the cranky grandfather that just wants um, custody. You have Stallone as like a truck driver. I mean, basically, this movie is Rocky with arm wrestling. Well, like, what's, what's great about that is any time that I talk about my love for over the top to someone who hasn't seen it, like I don't think my I think my wife hasn't seen it. And a while back. Uh, we were going over movies to watch at night and I go, well, what about over the top? And she was like, well, what's that about? And saying the plot out loud made mm-hmm. me laugh so hard. It's like, well, Stallone's a truck driver. who's trying to get the custody of his son by winning an arm wrestling competition. Right. <laughs> which, which is like, <laughs> all right. I mean, that just speaks to the power of how big a star Sylvester Stallone was in the 1980s that that movie could get made. All he had to do is turn his hat backwards, backwards. And, and then that hand. And you know, oh my God, it's yeah. done. And it was just like, it was like his superpower. And then, you know, I don't know, like that movie to me ruled like him oh, having the, um, the pull up the, uh, like the curling thing in his cab. He's like driving the 18 wheeler and then it's like curling at the same time. Um, those are the kind of truck drivers that I want in movies. Like, I don't want to see the bunny game. I don't want to know that there are truck drivers like that or Joyride mm-hmm. out there. I want Stallone. I want nice guy truck drivers mm-hmm. that are mean as fuck, huge, and they just want to arm wrestle for their son. Yeah, and it's um, one of those things, too, where I love the um, – oh, God, not the sound – the theme song to that movie from Sammy Hagar. Right. It's one of those things where you heard that and you heard uh, can't drive 55 and you're totally like this guy could totally replace David Lee Roth as the front man for Van Halen. Like they won't skip a beat whatsoever. And yeah, I was wrong. We might lose some listeners by me saying this, but I do not. Don't shit. I do not give a shit. Don't do it. Van fucking Hagar for life. Don't do it. That's my Van Halen. No. No. <laughs> You're like, end of show. It's over. It's just over. The dream is over. No. you. I mean, come on. The first Van Halen out, Diver Deep Diver, Diver Deep. Oh, God. Diver Down, 1984. Oh. Balance, man. Balance. That album, Balance. Oh, my God. I mean, I thought you were going to say the Gary Sharon era of Van oh. Halen. No. You know, there's one person out there that is like, yeah, man, Gary Sharon, Van Halen, that was my jam. That's Donald Trump. Oh, God. No, Donald Trump does not listen to music. He's not. No, no, I was just joking. No, but honestly, oh, man, the Twister soundtrack, Humans Being by Van Halen, dude, when Sammy Hagar was in the band. Oh, my Lord, that song. Uh, I did did rock Van Hagar in high school. I'm not going to. Matter of fact, probably the last mainstream like rock band that I liked before I got into like Nirvana and then punk rock was like Van Hagar, like the, the four unlawful carnal knowledge album, like that lived in our cars cassette deck, like between junior and senior year of high school. Like when we first got our licenses, you were cool. I was like, so not cool from childhood all the way to teenage years. And even till now, like I was always just blasting concrete blonde 24 seven. Dude, Concrete Blonde is much cooler than Van Hagar. Oh, man. Do not sell yourself short. Maybe I, was the cool, maybe I was the cool one. Never mind. <laughs> you were definitely the cool one. I remember when I bought Nevermind on cassette, and I had to like special order it from the local music store. I remember like blasting that all the time, and then my friends throwing it out the window because they hated it. Yeah. No guitar solos. Yeah. My friend who, like, one of my old roommates who's a really good guitar player hates Kurt Cobain because he says, like, exactly, like, there are no solos and it ruined guitar playing because anyone could do this. It's like, yeah, dude, that's kind of the point. So. Yeah, yeah. All right. How deep are we? You know, we have one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. We eight, nine, ten questions left. Do you want to do a couple more and then do a part two or do you want to blast yeah. these? Yeah, let's, let's, 
Yeah, let's do a couple more, and then we'll just do the part yeah. two. And we will part two. All right. All right, did number two. Lucky number 13. All right. Let's got do this one. I got this one. And this is coming from Running Through the Woods again. Our good buddy Garth. See, told you I didn't remember that name. Mm-hmm. At What's Running. He said. Or is it Gareth? Gareth or Garth. Hey, let me know. I want to know. I think it's Gareth. Uh, I think it's Gareth, too. So I've been calling He's, him Garth. Again, like someone who's much too handsome to be a Garth. Yeah. Yeah, that is true. Okay. Very approachable guy, by the way. Yeah. Uh, anyways, favorite subgenre of horror and why? Favorite Jason Voorhees. Oh, this is like three questions in one. Yeah. Favorite Jason Voorhees design. And would you, what, let's see, would you do standalone horror films as many episodes? You want to take this? Let's do the first, last part of that first. Yeah, I think we've done that with Christine. We did that with Mandy. I think that um, when we're kind of like t- trying to time out how we do episodes, I think that we would do that. I think we'd be more open to do that. So if we knew like we had two big franchises back to back and there was just a movie we wanted to tackle, I think we're open to do that. I think at some point, like every podcast at this point, we'll do a Patreon and then throw some like bonus content on there. Um, if we have the time to make it worth everybody's while and it would be like available to everyone for like a buck or two a month at that point, if, if we could do enough to make it worth their while, but I'm not opposed to doing the occasional standalone episode. Yeah, totally. Uh, we, we even had that like, uh, uh, short, uh, three from hell, mini episode with Justin beam. That was a lot mm-hmm. of fun. So, I mean, yeah. yeah, we've done them. They were fun. Uh, as far as favorite subgenres of horror, uh, for me, it's a toss up. Uh, slasher movies, which, I mean, God, I love them so much. So, so much. That, and I'm a big, big fan of satanic and witch horror. Like, mm-hmm. I love those just as much as slasher movies. Anything that has to do with the devil, cults, and witches, like, I, I can just watch that stuff 24 7. Mm hmm. I'm trying to think what my favorite subgenre is overall. I may have to come back to that one. Part of me wants to say exorcism movies or possession movies, um, because really? so many of my favorite all-time movies are that. Um, you know, obviously The Exorcist, but things like The Last Exorcism, um, The Taking of Deborah see, Logan. Uh, did you ever see Exeter? Not. Oh, Marcus Nispel directed it. Uh, mm-hmm. did oh, it's so good, and it's it's a really fresh take on exorcism movies because the exorcist exists in that. Like they Google it. Like mm-hmm. it's it's it kind of subverts any expectations. I would definitely recommend that one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would say either that or I. You know, and there are a lot of really terrible ones, but I think when a found footage movie is done well. Nothing gets under my skin more. Like, if you can make me really buy into it, whether it's the Rec series, whether it's a couple of the paranormal uh, paranormal activity entries, obviously everyone knows what a Blair Witch Project fan I am. Um, If you can really make me, like, buy in. Like, there was a movie... Uh, called Home Movies. It starred Adrian Pazdar from the Heroes series, uh, where he plays a home minister, and he and his wife adopt, I believe they adopt a couple of kids that are burgeoning psychopaths, and they take a very, like, is it religious, or is it, like, psychological in nature? Um, and it's a really creepy and disturbing movie. Um, I would say probably, like, even though there are a lot of really, really terrible ones in this subgenre, a good found footage movie, like I'm thinking of more recent, the Hell House LLC, at least the first entry, I think is really enjoyable. Um, the kind of like mock documentary, like uh, Poughkeepsie Tapes or um, Lake Mungo, or even something like the houses that October built, I think is really effective. What is um, your opinion? Uh, what are your thoughts on afflicted afflicted? That's the vampire one. Yeah. From 2013. I really like that one. Yeah, me too. 
Yeah, I, I think that's really enjoyable. And that was like, and that could be another like this could have been a franchise because it was set up perfectly for it. Totally. All right, let's do one more, and then call it a night, and we'll come back to it um, either later this week or after we do our critters five episode. We'll hold off. So generate number fifteen. Do we do that? Nope. Ooh, Here we go. Yeah. See, I was excited about this one because it was either 15 or 16 were the questions that I really was mm-hmm. excited about. So, okay, 15. I'll take this one. Yeah. Uh, Josh Stifter, at Josh Stifter on Twitter, who also really quickly is such a great filmmaker. He has uh, a lot of really fun movies, uh, or I think a couple actually, on Amazon Prime. Uh, I don't know why I'm, his name is escaping me. I think it's the uh, The Good Exorcist or something like that. Uh, and he was on the season one of Rebel Without a Crew. Great filmmaker, great animator. Check his stuff out. His question is, is there a monster in lore that hasn't really been done right that you'd like to see a movie about? Uh, for me, uh, if you haven't seen Underwater, please maybe skip this. But Underwater has a reveal at the end that made me say, wow, is that what I think it is? And then later the director said, that was purposely what you thought it was. Uh, it was Cthulhu. And mm-hmm. mm, that yep. is that is that is my response. I've wanted to see Lovecraft, like the whole universe, brought into like the shared universe thing, which I guess they're doing now, which is awesome. But Cthulhu and every kind of Lovecraft creation, I mean the Dunwich horror, you know, Color Out of Space just came out. So it feels like it's it's going that direction, but that is what I've always wanted to see. And you can do Lovecraft with all the, all the racism. You're right. You take you know, racism out. Wonderful. If you take the racism out of Lovecraft, you still have a fantastic coming-of-age monster story. All right. Um, Send iTunes reviewers. That was not yeah. Jerry that said that. No, Underwater is great, yeah. And it's that yeah. Cthulhu reveal is great. Um, I know that Larry Fessenden made a movie called Wendigo, yeah. but I still don't think there's been... I think that was hampered a little bit by its budget. Um, I don't think there's been a great Wendigo movie, and maybe Antlers is going to be that movie because that looks pretty fantastic. Um, and I think that's what the reveal is, you know. And I know you get like really creepy hints of it in um, the Pet Cemetery movies. Um, I thought it was one of the things the new one got right was that kind of walk from the deadfall to the actual um, burial ground was really creepy and like very disturbing um, but there hasn't been a full all and it's kind of hinted at that is what um, takes over the bodies of the uh, dead in Pet Cemetery, although it's yeah. never made explicit. Um, but there's never been, like, I think a really great Wendigo movie, and I'm interested to see if maybe Antlers Man, is going to be that movie. I cannot agree with you more. And what's interesting is, uh, I mean, there's things that I'm terrified of, and that is my wife's biggest fear in life. Mm-hmm. Uh, she just cannot do Wendigo stuff. So mm-hmm. like we, when we were watching the trailer for Antlers in the theater, like it was like so traumatic that I felt so bad. But I cannot wait to see that movie because, like you said, that very well could be the first like really good Wendigo movie. Though I do where love that. that where does that fear come from? You know, I'm not sure. I've never I've never asked her about it. But yeah, for some reason, uh, even the little like subtle imagery in the new Pet Cemetery, like it freaks her the hell out. Like. It's it's I'm not funny, but like it's interesting to see. Mm-hmm. Interesting. All right, cool. Well, listeners, we hope you enjoyed uh, this week part one of our Q and A. We definitely have eight more questions here to tackle, and who knows, maybe we'll ask for some more because we're gluttons like that. Um, I tend to be long winded, so this you know went a little bit longer than we thought, um, but that's all right. So. We are happy to do that. So next time we speak, it'll probably be our Critters Attack, little uh, bit Critters Attacks episode, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. So, all right. And on that note, we hope everyone's doing great. Follow us over at Pod and the Pendulum. We know it's really crazy times right now. Um, 
you've got the opportunity, I think, to show people who you really are, bring a little kindness into the world, be a little bit more patient with everyone around you, your friends, your family, that random person you're talking to on Twitter or Facebook, you know, kind of like be the person you really want people who you want to be at this point, you know, because I think it's kind of crazy out there. Could all use a little bit more goodness. And that's it. All right, dude. You have a great night. You too, man. That was a lot of fun. Thank you for thinking about it. This was definitely fun. You definitely keep doing stuff like this. heading up the social media while drinking a can of beer. And I'm Jess. I'm the witchy spister who can be found behind the scenes crafting. And we are the spinsters of horror. We have a monthly horror podcast called I Spit on Your Podcast. Which is semi-academic with a dash of feminism and we aren't afraid to tackle tough subject matter or just have a little fun. You can find us on our website at www.spinstersofhorror.com Follow us on Twitter at Horror Spinsters. You can find the podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, Spotify, Stitcher, and more. And remember, the future of fear is female. Oh, 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 o